This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, and welcome to the Game Changers audio experience with myself, Adam Strong, for another fun-packed episode. So who have we got on today, ladies and gentlemen? Well, we've got a, a guy called John Spence, and not only has he got an amazing haircut, as you can see, but he's also recognized as one of the top business thought leaders and leadership development experts in the world, and also um, as named by American Management Association as some of uh, America's top 50 leaders to look for, along with uh, the likes of uh, Larry, uh, Larry, Larry, uh, Larry Page, uh, and Jeff Bezos from Amazon, Larry Page from Google. Uh, he's, um, he's got five books, uh, which are currently out. And uh, his latest book is all about how to take, um, how to take business and make it more simple. His mission is to help business become more successful by making complex businesses and making them uh, astonishingly or amazingly simple, which I love, by the way, because business can be extremely complicated. And uh, <laughs> today we're going to be talking a little bit about, well, a number of things. We're going to be talking about uh, mission, vision and values, which is the key fundamentals. Number two, we're going to be talking about change and resistance to change. Uh, we're also going to be talking about how to take something which is complex and turn it into something which is simple. So without further ado, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. It's a joy to be here with you. Awesome. Very good to be here as well. All right. So, um, and it was great sort of having some uh, great, um, what are we going to say? Great conversations, you know, before we came onto the show and getting to know each other, which is great. So um, I wanted to start off actually just by, um, but by starting off, like we're saying, which is really, really simple. Cause I mean, you've been in the world of business. I mean, you've, you've uh, owned and you've become the CEO uh, from the age of 26. Uh, um, and you've also now, also the sit as, as, as a board member on six other businesses as well, and including an Australian business, is that correct? And- New uh, Zealand business. New Zealand, sorry, New Zealand. Um, basically. Don't mix those up, they would, it would not make those two countries happy. No, <laughs> it's true, it's very true, it's very true. Very no true. love lost there. Absolutely, very true. But listen, here's the interesting part. Um, so in terms of like your mission, vision and values, now I read, uh, in, uh, in, a, in a recent book, which was called The Vision Code, which was uh, with Dr. Olga Kanaroff. Uh, and he talks, uh, you talked a lot about mission, vision, and values in there. And it's something which is really in tune with like what, what, I, what I'm about as well, which I love. But how does your personal and your business vision correlate and intertwine with each other? And how do they intertwine, number one? And what are the difference? differences and applications about how one can, should we say, establish a set of values and how do they interlink with each other? Okay, that's a complex question. Uh, <laughs> well, we go straight uh, in the deep end, right, shall we? <laughs> I'm try to make the answer amazingly simple. Um, so a couple of things. I believe that, and this goes for, I, I was just listening to the CEO of MasterCard uh, not too long ago is I think the major engagement is caused not only an entrepreneur, but in their, their team as well, 
when your personal mission, the things you want to achieve in your life, the reason that you're there is highly aligned with what your organization does. Right. And I think that it, when that when those two things are interconnected, every day you go to work makes you a better person. And the things you learn at work make you a better husband, father, uh, partner, whatever it might be. But the two, the two are constantly synergistically helping each other. Mm. Um, now, what's interesting is I've been teaching, a, uh, I teach a class on uh, Fortune 10 and Wharton on what's called strategies for life success, strategies for business and life success. Okay. And every year in my uh, class at Wharton, I get about, a, and it's an executive level class, I get about 100, 150 very high level senior executives in multi-billion dollar companies. And I will ask them, how many of you have a written list of your personal core values that you use to live your life by on a daily basis, daily basis and make all the major decisions in your life by? Out of 120 people in the room, maybe two people will raise their hands. Wow. Uh, so I look at it and say, it's kind of, you know, A, that's surprising to me. B, there's a great Walt Disney quote I love. When values are clear, decisions are easy. And this works for an organization as well as a person. And I find it interesting that you could be in your 40s or 50s working in a major company and have no clear vision of what you want to do with your life and the values you're going to base your life on. Um, I do run into often CEOs of smaller organizations that don't think it's important to have a vision, mission, values. We're just going to do the work. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked. I had one call me the other day. Yeah, my senior executive team wants me to do a vision. I don't think it's, it was an engineering firm, so I don't think the guy was too excited about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but his whole team said, we need to understand where we're going. Uh, we need to understand the values of the organization to get us there. So to me, again, when those two things are matched, when the senior leadership team, the, the organization has a clear, big, compelling, and there's a great, sorry, like, a, a vivid, compelling, and well-communicated vision and strategy for growth. That keeps everybody going in the same direction, helping each other, understanding what they're supposed to do to help the organization go. And I'm a big fan for if the two aren't aligned, my personal vision and what I want to do while I'm here and the organizational vision, or you, and you can talk to this, you probably know it better than I do, Adam, the big idea now of purpose, yes. that the folks that are coming to the workforce now, purpose is as important or more important than paycheck. Mm. You know, it's interesting. We, you know, you mentioned that conversation. I was actually, um, we had a, a guy called Alan Huskins, um, who was on the show actually last week. Uh, in fact, it was, in fact, he came out this week and we were talking about um, people's purpose, right? And, you know, we, we were talking about their different generations, um, John, and we were talking about the fact that the current generation, uh, I guess you want to call them millennials, I guess, it, it, whatever you want to call them, but they are more, they're more motivated to do with the purpose and their personal values rather than money and how that's, that's right. how, how that's kind of changed over the years. And, you know, we, we had some great, um, great conversations. So interesting, you brought that up. I love it. Very cool. Yeah, I, I was work, talking to a client yesterday that said, I get, <laughs> it's a client we were talking about before we got on, uh, that said, I guess I have to be more touchy-feely then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> or or as, as one of my, I guess I have to do the happy crap. And my answer <laughs> to her was, uh, yeah, you're going to have to. And if you can't, you probably won't be an effective leader because the people you're leading now Passion, purpose, values mm. are extremely important to them. It's the, it's the EQ side of leadership. You, well, there's actually three things. There's IQ, EQ, and AQ. Mm -hmm. uh, AQ is your adaptability, your agility quotient. 
And we're finding out that EQ is more important than IQ. As long as you have a level of competence, you've got to be connected, genuine, genuine connections around the purpose, the mission, the vision, the values with your employees so that we're all headed there together and leading with heart or, or servant leadership. Yeah. Interesting that you were talking about EQ because um, I'm a big fan of Clubhouse, which is the audio only app. And, we were, and we've had some fascinating conversations around the whole kind of EQ space. Um, in fact, we had a great conversation with, I was having a great conversation with uh, our good friend Chester Elton as well. We were talking about yes. EQ and empathy and stuff like that, which is, you know, and, and these, honestly, guys, if you guys are listening in right now, I, I'm not joking you right now, is that if you're not, you know, practicing and applying EQ in your business, you're doing a disjustice, especially when it comes to productivity and engagement and things like that. I can tell you now, if you're not, if you're not up to scratch with that, get an expert in and or listen to this podcast and, and get some tips and strategies for how to do that. But I'm glad yeah, I you to make a point here. I've run a whole bunch of companies. I didn't realize how important EQ was when I was mm. first starting to run companies. Um, again, I, I do talking around the world. I ask in my classes, what are the characteristics of the, a leader you love, you absolutely love versus the characteristics of a leader you hate that you've worked for, your worst boss ever, your boss. Ever. I will tell you right now, it's about seven to one, good and bad EQ. Their behaviors, their attitudes, the way they interacted with people. Very rarely does someone say, my boss was great because they were technically a genius or my boss was horrible because they didn't, you know, they were incompetent. It's almost always EQ and, the, and, and I've had to learn it. And a couple of things I've learned is that there's a few steps to it is the self-awareness of what the emotion actually is that I'm feeling and being able to name it. I didn't used to do that. Just the emotion took control immediately, which leads to the second thing is self-regulation. Uh, now that I understand I'm having this emotion, how do I effectively express it? If it's anger or frustration or confusion or whatever it might be, just blurting it out is going to work. <laughs> And then the last one is the compassion and empathy for the other people and their feelings. Mm. Those are actually three skills. They can be improved if you, like you said, bring somebody in, get an expert, study this, and then practice it. It doesn't happen just by reading a book. You've got to go practice it. Yeah. And it, and it makes your life better all the way around. You, you better connections with your family, your friends, your team members. It's a, it's a win, win, win all the way around. So interestingly, you brought up the EQ conversation because I really want to kind of delve in a little bit here because, I mean, you know, you've run companies, you've been in business for a long, long time, right? So my question is, is how do you, um, what are, I suppose, what are the, if we take the EQ space, right, and we've got our personal vision and our business vision and uh, vision values, um, how do they correlate in being a good leader between the two? Uh, this question, I think it's the emotional connection to the values, the vision, and the mission that you show authenticity, uh, vulnerability at some level, mm -hmm. and that you are transparent in your passion and your concern for your people. I've got my favorite CEO in the world, and no offense to any other CEOs I've worked with or know, uh, is a gentleman named Carl Rapp that runs a about a quarter of a billion dollar company that makes uh, gears, not a very sexy business. <laughs> but he, he loves his people. And now this is something I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, is hmm. it's the emotion and the connection and, and truly understanding other people and, and creating a relationship. However, you still have to run a business that delivers business results. So it's this constant tension between, uh, I, I like the word love, loving your people, taking care of them, but 
also holding them accountable and making sure you get the numbers. And I see leaders that fall one way or the other. Uh, and it's hard to make that balance. Mm. I agree. And, and it's interesting. Um, I'm a big advocate of, um, I'm a big advocate of putting, uh, building companies that have a, uh, a purpose with longevity over profitability. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that profitability is not important. Of course, it's important. But I believe that if you build a company purpose or you, or you have a, um, a, an amazing purpose and the company knows exactly why they exist, then profitability will come second nature. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm real clear on this. And, and you keep saying that I've been at this a long, 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 long time. <laughs> We're all students, by the way. <laughs> but it's been, it's been over 30 years. And uh, like you and I said before, traveling a couple hundred days a year around the world, mm. working in all kinds of industries from startups to the Fortune 5. And I will tell you very clearly, it is hire the, the best people you can, take great care of them, get them energized, motivated, and excited by a clear purpose and vision and mission. They will turn around and, and create wonderful products and services, take amazing care of your customers, and your profits will take care of themselves. It, it, it doesn't happen any other way. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't happen. So I'm a huge fan for being able to tie those two things together. And it's interesting, in some businesses, the purpose is very clear. You work at a major hospital, you save people's lives. Uh, uh, you know, you work in education, you change people's lives. You, you know, allow them to have another opportunity. Some businesses, it's harder. But if you dig deep, I, I work with some banks. They don't, they don't do checking accounts and credit cards. They help people have financial stability and freedom. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you make that loan, it's somebody buying their first house or um, helping save to put their kids through college uh, or, you know, buying a car so they get back and forth to work. It's not a financial transaction. It's a, it's a life transaction. True. And as soon as they make the, the switch from, I don't just work in a teller line, handing out money and cashing checks. I'm actually contributing to helping people have a wonderful life and take care of their family. Mm. The, the purpose pulls through and gets people much more motivated and engaged. Love it. Very good. Some good thoughts there. Um, when we were talking about, um, I was going to say, I mean, why do you think from your perspective in the clients that you work with from GE to Apple, you know, to, to all of the big sort of corporations, right down to the small um, individuals of, of the big CEOs, why do you think many business leaders uh, forget about the key fundamentals and not just about, oh, I need to keep the shareholders happy? I mean, what do you, what's your thoughts about that? Well, it's, it's, and in smaller companies, it would be, I have to focus on the bottom line. In big companies, it's shareholder price. Two things, and you're going to, the second one is going to be interesting. Number one is the pressure. Yeah. They get, they get, they get rewarded on, you know, even as a small entrepreneur, you get rewarded on profitability. That's your paycheck. True. And in large companies, CEOs, senior executives, all their paychecks, all their are tied to bonuses. Uh, and they're constantly under pressure. It used to be, you know, annual, then quarterly. It's basically they, it's like, what's your share price in the last 10 minutes? Mm. So they don't make long-term decisions. Uh, years ago, I used to do a lot of work in Japan and there were some companies I'd worked with there. They've been around literally 400 years. Wow. And uh, they, the CEO did not get paid their bonus until 15 years after they left the company. No which way. Means that they had to sit at their desk and make 20 year decisions. Oh, wow. So, so my bonus is going to be 
predicated on the share value or the value of the company 15 years from today, I have to make long-term decisions. In our country or other countries, you can blow up your company and still get a $50 million paycheck out of it, uh, to, or $100 million as your golden parachute to leave. So there's no incentive to think long-term. The other thing, and I'm going to do this quickly and I'll get your feedback, is I never understood clearly why sometimes people climb up to high levels in large organizations that are truly not good. They're not leaders. They're aggressive, rude, condescending. All they care about is numbers, <laughs> you know, reduce headcount. In other words, go fire a thousand people. And then I realized, and this isn't all companies, but I realized that in those organizations that the only way you get to the next level in the beginning is competence, then it's connections, then it's politics. <laughs> then it's manipulative and aggressive politics. And eventually, you know, only the most aggressive political manipulative people make it to the top of the company. And this isn't every company, but I've seen that. And I used to walk away and say, how in the world did this person get into this position with a thousand people reporting to him? Mm. Because they were the most aggressive and manipulative out of the thousand. <laughs> and I do see this in small companies too, you know, where people are aggressive, manipulative, especially in family-owned businesses. Uh, and it, it can destroy the culture. And I yeah. saw a great quote yesterday. Culture is strategy. Yeah, that, that's it. You know, it's interesting that you said culture is strategy. Now, I remember um, uh, speaking with Gary Ridge, who's the CEO mm -hmm. uh, of WD40. And he actually says um, that uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And you probably would have heard that quote as well. Yeah, that's um, a Drucker quote. Yeah, it's a Drucker quote. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know how that kind of um, condescends against what you've just said there, or if it's kind of against what you said, or but no, it's, it's exactly the same. Mm. If culture eats strategy for breakfast because culture is more important than strategy. Culture is should be your strategy. strategy. Um, it's when I do a lot of strategy work. What I tell people is, don't forget you've got internal strategies as well as external strategies. And if you truly believe, which is one hundred percent true that the success of your business is directly determined by the quality of the people you can get, grow, and keep on your team, and keeping them is about culture, then people acquisition, development, and retention, and culture should be a major strategy in the organization with people, money, and time dedicated to it. Yep. Big and small, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't care if you have three employees or 300,000. One of the things I've said, Adam, is Climbing around in big companies and small companies, it's all the same problems. It's just more zeros. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so true. the same thing every time. <laughs> you know, one of my staff members that just came on, she's like, I've listened to all your classes and your It's the same thing. I go, because they all have the same problems, just at a bigger scale. Yeah. Interestingly. Love it. Love it. Love it. Now, interestingly, we were talking about communication earlier on. Okay. Um, now, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that companies make, that's big and small companies in communicating um, your personal vision, uh, personal mission, vision, and values, because you can't just put it into a employee handbook. You cannot just put it on a, you know, notice board when you, when your employees walk through the, walk through the door. What's, um, what do you think some of the key mistakes are and, and how do we um, uh, eliminate some of those mistakes? Any, any, any strategies or, or thoughts that you think work particularly well? Yeah, the, the single biggest thing, if the senior, living, uh, the senior management team is not a living example of the values, the purpose, and the mission, then don't worry about trying to communicate it at all. Um, you know, when you're a leader, you live under a microscope. Everybody's, and again, small and big, if the leader doesn't, uh, doesn't live the values, let's say one of the values is respect, and you've got someone 
who treats people poorly, that's condescending or rude, and you leave them in that position, you're clearly telling everyone we were just kidding. Yeah. So number one is you've got to be a living guy. Number two is you gotta, you've got to you got to tell stories. Gary is great at this. Gary Ridge from WD40. Mm. The tribe. Let me tell you about employees that have lived it before. Let me tell you about a time we work with a customer. Let me tell you about this to give living examples of how you, how you actually embody all these things. And then the last thing is to over-communicate it. I had one CEO ask me once, when do you know you've talked about the mission, the mission, vision, values, purpose, enough? I said, if you get to the point that if you say it one more time, you're going to vomit, uh, the <laughs> in your organization just heard it for the very first time. You, you've got, it's got to be in every channel you can possibly think of in slightly different ways, but just that drumbeat constantly of this is what we're here for. This is our purpose. This is why we do it. I'm also a huge fan of getting customers to come in and tell you about how you've changed their life. Mm. Um, I served on the board, uh, and I, I've got a friend that owns a company that makes prosthetic legs. And if you're sitting in the back doing the bookkeeping and ordering a part, it's not very exciting. So what he does is after they fit someone with a new leg, they walk them through the whole office. So everybody gets to meet them. So I'm not doing paperwork or counting. I'm helping that person get a new leg and what we call crutch in and walk out. That is very meaningful. Uh, I served on the board of directors of a company that helped people with intellectual and physical disabilities. We always invited a family that we'd helped uh, to one of our board meetings to tell us about, to tell the board and the staff about how we had made a personal impact on their lives. That changes everything. So bringing in customers, bringing in partners to say, this, your purpose is awesome. You're helping our community. You're helping my family. I think that connects people even stronger with a purpose. And, and, and you know what, I also creates, from my perspective, it also creates tribes, you know, it creates strong communities of raving fans, or, or, or what I call invigilists, you know, and if you create that kind of culture of inclusiveness, and you create that kind of, um, oh, I want to be part of that, you know, I want to be part of the company, and, 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 you, and, and, it's, and the thing is, if it comes from your clients, or your customers, right, it's 10 times more powerful than it coming from you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the things that I always see that people get up in the morning and go to work for a paycheck, but they'll jump out of bed and do amazing work for a purpose. True. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Now, interestingly enough, I, this is a, I had a, a really interesting thought process. Okay. Because I mean, you've worked with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis and you've also spoken in audiences of like 20, 26,000 people. Right. So, so, you know, huge, huge amount of people. Now, when you're dealing with business leaders and management teams specifically, okay, and you come across that there are, that they're resistant to change, right? Because they're not, maybe they're not sure, maybe they're fearful. I'd like to discuss some of the reasons why management teams and business leaders are resistant to change and how do they make that shift you know, in terms of like making that change, because, you know, business is complex, as you had greatly said in your book, and we, you, you're looking for ways in which you can demystify that and make it more simple. What are your thoughts about um, the resistance to change? Okay, so that we're going to talk about resistance change, and then we'll talk about how to deal with change. Resistance to change, you've probably seen, I can't remember the name of this psychologist that did this, but when people are faced with what they perceive as negative change, they go through the same emotional roller coaster they do as if uh, as if someone they knew died. 
I think about this. No, <laughs> seriously. I mean, interesting. It, and That's now, interesting. right now, I mean, I'm seeing massive stress in companies mm. because of COVID-19 and all the changes, forced work from home, this, that, and the other. And there are stages. It's, you know, it's denial. This can't be happening. Uh, immobilization. I, I, I don't know what to do. Then they slip into anger. This isn't fair. I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. I, I don't have to do this. Then they realize you do have to wear a mask or whatever it might be. Then they go into, you know, bargaining. Can I get out of this? Is there any way I can get around it? Then it goes into depression. And people go back and forth through that cycle from immobilization to depression to eventually when they adopt the new thing. So first of all, you have to understand there's a really strong emotional component of fear, anxiety, stress around. And again, it's whatever the person perceives as negative change. For some people, a small, even a small change, like moving into a different office, can really uh, upset their life, put them in imbalance. Other people, major changes, they're like, eh, no big deal. Right. Um, so first of all, you have to realize that people really have a visceral emotional reaction to change. Number two then is there's a, and I'm sure you've seen Cotter's change cycle. I look at, there's a few things on the front of it that I think are the most important. Number one, and I believe this is absolutely the most critical is you must create an irresistible case for change. Uh, you must show that there is no way to go back. Um, you know, and when I see companies make mistakes, it's when they hedge a little bit. Well, we're going to try this, you know, we'll see how it works. We need to change this new platform. No, it's gone. You, you have no choice. You have to do this. Mm -hmm. So as soon as people realize you have no choice, this is not going to, you know, the changes going forward, that's step one. It's the biggest problem. Step two then is creating that vivid vision, the purpose the clarity about, okay, we're leaving this behind, but here's the new direction we're going in. And it's going to be awesome. It's, it might hurt for a little while, uh, but it's going to be better. Uh, step three is to create a sense of urgency, because if you take too long to make the change, people will drop out uh, and they'll just get tired and they'll say, ah, this too shall pass. You know, if I just hold on long enough, they'll go back on this. Uh, and then the last one that I look at is a guiding coalition. I want to get some, some, some of the key people on my team the ones that everybody respects, and it may not be title, may, maybe they've just been there forever, and get those people as my change champions. Love it. Because if those people are behind it, other people will adopt it. And if now here's the other side, if one of those people who everybody respects says, this is a really bad idea, then you will get a whole bunch of people resistant to it. So those are the two sides of the equation to me. I love it. Change, uh, champions of change. I love that. And I think I've heard that saying before, actually. I mean, it's, um, but I think it's become more um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's become more in tune now, especially in the 21st century, um, which I think is really, really good, um, which, which I love. Some great tips there. Thanks very much, John. Um, pleasure. Now, my belief is that speed loves success. Now, the challenge with big businesses is that, um, is that sometimes business can be very complex, as, as you've known, in your, as you've written in your book. Uh, whether it be red tape, whether it be bureaucracy, whether it be hierarchy structures or whatever it might be. But how can larger businesses in particular um, speed up, whether it be the decision making or whatever it is, how is it that they can go from a slow, really sort of slow business into more of a action orientated business, which has which carries um, a sense of urgency behind it? Any thoughts there, John? Yeah, uh, and it's not just big businesses. There are, I mean, I, I deal with fairly small companies that are really having a hard time turning. I think it's a couple of things. First of all, you have to create a culture of urgency. 
mm. a culture that's where speed gets uh, gets rewarded. Uh, also, I believe that uh, if you're going to have speed, you're going to have some failure. So uh, you've got to be able to truly. People say, "Oh, we love innovation. We, you know, fail forward <laughs> faster." I think that's great, except you actually have to live it. it. You know, when someone goes out on a limb and takes a prudent business risk in in favor of speed, making quick decision, and it fails. You don't saw off that limb, you run out and give them a hug and say, hey, you know, it failed, but thank you, thank you, thank you for trying. Um, another big part of that is psychological safety. If something's going wrong, we're going too fast, just don't yell and scream, you know, go in and say, oh man, I'm so glad you brought, I'm not happy about the problem, but boy, I'm glad you brought it to me so we can work on it. So you've got to, you've got to embrace the speed, the change, uh, got to change the culture. Um, I, I just looked over a memo I sent to a, a friend of mine that was taking over as CEO of a company about eight years ago, 10 years ago. Wow. And one of the things I said is you need to have a competition of getting rid of stupid rules. And <laughs> once a month, have people send in their idea about something that's holding it up, something that isn't working, and look at all these stupid rules, draw one out, give them a huge prize. And then go get rid of those rules. <laughs> um, Ford had a great thing that I, I thought was wonderful is um, if a problem lands on your desk or you need to make something, you have 24 hours to get it done on your own or you have to go ask for help. Um, that's speed. We need to fix this now. Not let me let it sit on my desk and the end of the week I'll look at it, and the next month I'll look at it. By then the problem is out of control. No, you got 24 hours. We're going to fix it and then we're going to move forward. Uh, so those are a couple of thoughts, and it, mainly it is reward, speed, punish, uh, punish me. I don't like the word punish, but refuse to tolerate mediocrity and refuse to tolerate inertia. Love it, and and I think you hit the nail on the head there. I I, I think there's some really good points there, and uh, yeah, it's it it it's it, it's really interesting. So. Um, I know we're coming towards the end of our uh, interview because I know that we, we're a bit struck for time, but I'd love to know what you're working on. Cause I mean, you know, I mean, you've got some exciting things going on, especially with the new way of working in, in the world of John Spence, of course, but what are you working on right now? I, I know that you, I know we spoke a little bit behind the scenes and stuff. Maybe you could share with our audience about what you're working on right now. What is your personal vision? <laughs> well, my personal vision is very clear to help businesses and people be more successful. Uh, I've known that for years and I've dedicated my life to it. It's the reason that you can see behind me, I read a, about a thousand, you know, well, <laughs> 100, 120 books a year to kind of keep up. So there's two areas. I, I spent a huge majority of my time up until now traveling around the world, giving speeches, doing it face-to-face training, almost all of that. I'm starting to get back on the road, uh, but a lot of it is switched to virtual. So it's really neat that I can teach in three continents on one day. <laughs> I can, you know, I mean, I, I can be in India, I can be in Malaysia, I can be in New Zealand, I can be in the United States, all basically on the same day. So it's, it's created a really open field for helping people. Uh, number two is I switched over to a lot more executive coaching, again, because it can be done virtually and done well. Uh, and then last week, we both talked about Oleg Konovalov, who's uh, written some amazing books, my, one of my favorite books of all time, Neurology. Uh, he and I are working on a new book together right now. Uh, on sort of the intersection of strategy, visionary leadership, and culture. And we've interviewed a whole bunch of CEOs around the world. So that's the sort of the passion project right now. But my main thing is I've got a handful of people I'm coaching, and you and I talked about this, that are really good at what they do, and, but want to get better. Yeah. And when you get to spend time with somebody like that, you both learn and you both have a great time. 
So those are the major focuses of my career right now. Love it. And I suppose my final, um, my last question really is, uh, you know, I'm a big believer about if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're learning, you're growing, but if you're, if you're, if you're not learning, you're growing, you're dying, you're either learning. Yeah. Or you're, 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 what, what, what's your, what's your take on that statement? What, what, how do you, um, how do you teach some of your clients, whether it be in large audiences or one-on-one, how do you encourage them to continue to sharpen their acts? Yeah, this is a real, so I've done a bunch of research on this. The average business person reads a half a book a year for self-improvement or business improvement or, or the equivalent. It could be YouTube videos or whatever, audiobooks, but a half a book a year. Right. If you were to read one book every other month or the equivalent of uh, six books a year, you're in the top 1%, whatever country you live in, top 1%. If you read one a month, 12 books a year, you're in the top 1% in the world. Uh, the bar is very low. So if you spent 15 minutes a day watching a video, listening to your podcast, uh, reading a book, listening on a bit, 15 minutes a day, at the end of the year, you have now put yourself in the top 1% in the world. You do that for three or four years. It doesn't necessarily increase your IQ. It just gives you access to more information. Uh, and if you got your team to do that, whether you have two people or 20,000, if everyone was spending 15 or 20 minutes a day reading, studying, learning, trying to improve, it would have a massive impact on the success of your company and then of you personally in your own life. Love it, love it, love it. Very cool. Well, that's a great, um, that's a great summary. Uh, so I just wanted to say thanks very much for being on the show today. Really appreciate some of our conversations and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So thanks very much, John. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, my honor, Adam. Thank you so much. And uh, guys, uh, if you want to connect with John, by the way, please do so by connecting on his personal personal website on his uh, on, on the links below or connecting with John uh, on LinkedIn or any other social media uh, also available. So um, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you have any questions or you want to connect with John, just mention the Game Changers audio experience and he'll put two and two together. So uh, uh, from me and John, uh, have a fantastic day, month, year, whenever you're listening to this, and have a great day. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I wanted to bring your attention because I have just released our third published book called Play the Game, How to Win in Today's Ever-Changing Environment, and I Need Your Help. Uh, our book comes out on October the 20th. It's written by myself and 17 other amazing people. We're going to be covering all different topics from franchising through to mindset through to um, adversity, all different types of um, topics. It is for existing entrepreneurs and business owners that want to grow and scale a business. Um, And I need your help. We want to make this an international bestseller. And we'd love it if you would go to the link below on Amazon and pre-order your copies. Uh, you can pre-order the copy, um, pre-order the paperback copy, or alternatively, you can click on the link and uh, also down uh, pre-order the, uh, the the e-Kindle version as well. So if you could do that for me, that would be absolutely amazing. Uh, you will not be disappointed, I can guarantee you. Uh, this book has been endorsed by uh, the Only Two Times Thinkers, 50, and executive number one coach, Marshall Goldsmith, and also written forward by Five Times New York Times bestselling author Chester Elton. So um, hope you enjoy. Thanks very much for your support. Cheers. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights, 
and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.